podcast ain't played nobody. It is pure chaos right now. Um, I right before we went on, I just decided we're not even going to try and hash out what we're going to do. There's just so much stuff um, that we're we're just going to hit it kind of in stream of consciousness. Whatever we don't get, we can get on Thursday. Sorry, I'm looking for a pen right now. This is I, I rarely take notes during the show, but that's how scattershot everything wow. is right now. It's just a mess, Bill. Um, I'm going to take notes on the back of the credit card bill I need for my expense reports that I haven't done. So while you're doing all that, I'm, I, I, I'm sitting here with the Oregon Live John Kinzano piece about how Larry Scott and Pac-12 continue to lose ground in the college football arms race. This uh, is a true thing. It is. Um <laughs> Now, like, I mean, they, they go into like how, you know, he, he likes things lavish. He moved them to expensive real estate. Somebody this made is a good, true. Somebody made a good point about how, like, there's a reason ESPN's in Bristol and not Manhattan. That's all fine. Um, eh, okay. Then you get down to the Rick Neuheisel part where he noticed that basically Pac-12 players aren't as big as other t- as the other conferences players, which, I mean, maybe is true, uh, quite possibly is true. And then he says, the size disparity was ridiculous. We, have uh, as a conference, have to get bigger. We play in this league that is small-skilled and makes all kinds of plays, but we don't look the part physically. We don't have the ability to recruit and have all the bells of whistle and whistles because the money isn't coming in as it should. I don't know how much I believe about any of that. I don't believe that at all. Well, I, I, like even yeah, you know, without diving into the numbers to see if the if the size thing is true or false, I, it might be true for all I know. But what what, what what's more money going to more money's not going to put you closer to Texas? I'm going to be honest about something. Okay. Um, here's the first stream of consciousness thought. I have to fly to uh, the Bay Area um, for work. Jealous for a feature uh, I'm I would love for you to go in my stead as busy as my life is right now um, because it's not it's it's um, not college football it's for another non-college football project for SB Nation here's what I was going to tell you I was going to tell you this off the air but we can talk about it I had the option of flexing a little bit and trying to squeeze into my travel either attending the Pac-12 championship game on Friday or going to Stanford Cal on Saturday I yeah. ultimately elected to do neither. <laughs> That's a different world, man. Is That's it, a different world. Where is world. Stanford Cal? Is it, is it Berkeley or Palo Alto? It's in Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, honestly, if you fly into the Bay Area, and you, I mean, if you're any, if you're familiar with that part of the of the of the world, you can kind of get to either. Either is going to be a headache, no matter where you go into. It's a sort of a weird, weird right. layout with the Bay Area. But, dude, I just why. <laughs> Why? It's pretty. That's one of the stadiums I would actually really like to visit. Cause, I've uh, been to the stadium before because I interviewed Sonny Dykes when he was the head coach there, and they walked me around, and you know we do all that. And I did turn around. I think I've said this before. Took a picture. Um, it's so it's a you, you go in. All the football facilities are underneath the stadium. Da 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 da. You go in, and then so you're on the top level, and you walk down. Um, it's really pretty. But when you're on that top level, you turn around on the concourse, you see. Behind you is a perfect view of San Francisco across the bay because you're so high up in Berkeley. You're looking over Oakland. Um, it's amazing. But uh, I just – why? I, I, here is the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in is, is Cal's defense and what Wilcox has done. But 
I don't know, man. Just not enough. Yeah, no, that would not be. Enough. That would and be I mean, there is no closer. sell on. There's just no sell on a national level to get our audience well, sure. interested in what happened. No, no, no. I'm sorry, not about Cal. I was leading into another thought. I, I stump. I think the Cal thing's interesting, and I like to sell our readers and listeners on things I find interesting. But uh, the Pac-12 championship game at Levi's. No, nah, no, no, that no, one I can't no, no, really no. advocate for. But like, uh, showing Cal up twenty four, like showing up twenty four hours early, another night in a hotel, another way, another night away from my kid. My kids have like a Christmas thing at their school. Like, no, I'm just not gonna do it. I can advocate for Cal Stanford though. That one would be. It's on campus. Uh, it's a rivalry game. I'm assuming the weather's nice and <laughs> the smoke is cleared. Um, Maybe. Man, this new Heisel thing. Okay, the Pac-12 has to be really smart. They've got to carve out more revenue so that USC and Washington and those who are carrying the flag in the conference from a physical standpoint aren't completely dwarfed by those other teams anymore. USC, really? Okay, right, USC is too deep. Calm Do down I? for one second. I'm going to put it down on the list. Are you ready? <clears throat> this is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. It is a very hectic marriage of numbers and words this week. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. I am too busy to come up with a witticism. That's why I put my intro first. That's the robot Bill Connolly. You can find him at SBN underscore Bill C on the Twitters. He wrote multiple books. It's about to be the holiday season. Why don't you buy one of his books? Go to Amazon, type in Bill Connolly, buy one of his books. Don't be a cheap ass. They're great stocking stuffers. Read it to a By the way, if you go to my Twitter account and uh, note that uh, if you DM me, I'll send you a book for a signed book for $17, the same price that it's on Amazon right now. Yeah, yeah. You got something against Bezos? Well, I, I, I have something against the fact that their book, they're selling it for 17 instead of like 12 like they used to be. So whatever, I'm, I'll do it myself. Why did it go up? Uh, it's totally random. Like trying to figure out Amazon pricing is, is absurd, but I'm not really impressed with the fact that right now the price of the book went up. USC. Okay. Defensive tackles are six, two, two eighty and six, three, three, 10 nose tackles are six, three, three Oh five and six, four, three, 25 starting defensive end is six, three, three, 10. They've got a starting outside linebacker, Christian Rector, six, four, two seventy five. Jordan Iosefa at uh, outside linebacker is a, is a svelte 6'2", 230, but that's more of a an outside linebacker role. Their, their inside linebackers are 250 and a, a svelte 220, John Houston Jr. That's fine. Um, his backups are all 230, but whatever. There's absolutely nothing physically dwarfed about USC. 6'6", right guard, 6'5", 310, left guard. They're not, like, demonstrably big, but they're normal sized. Like they're only dwarfed by Alabama. So let's let, wait, wait a, that. And the, the, the piece itself talks way too long about Larry Scott's salary, which uh, whatever. You're right there. This is the last thing I thought we'd be talking about, but we can't. Well, I had the article um, pulled up and then you were doing something. So I let myself read deal. for a, a second. referendum, referendum on retired coaches trying to talk mess. Cause oh. this, will nice, this will be a nice bridge into the fact that we're now hiring out retired coaches or, or fire. Well, yeah, con- congrats in advance to Rick Neuheisel for getting the, well, what, what would be the, I guess the UCLA job chip will retire and then he'll just, they'll just do what UNC just did and say, Hey, let's bring in some old guy. There is a, <sighs> It's it. The problem is availability. These guys want to talk. They want to stay relevant. A lot of them have TV jobs to plug yeah. or some other side interest. There is a reason they have been relegated to the place that they are at, especially in New Heisel's case. So, I just immediately look at what he's saying and just kind of shrug yeah. It U- off. UCLA, like yeah, at least Mac Brown won at at North Carolina uh, the last time he was there. I guess UCLA is probably not going to be interested in rehiring New Heisel again. All right. Um. So we'll start there. North Carolina. Um, obviously, uh, Richard Johnson and myself have been running around trying to to handle every uh, coaching rumor and availability. Um, 
SB Nation got to break a little news and force the um, the established big boy media to credit us because we had the Western Kentucky firing on Sunday. Um, how's that for empty calories? Anyway, Bill, <laughs> um, uh, North Carolina jumps out, obviously, because it's Mac Brown. It jumps out to me because there were a lot of really, really qualified, young, aggressive coaches, established head coaches, top coordinators. Like, that job had heat um, because – Honestly, what we wrote about about a month ago that Larry Fedora has suffered a weird spate of injuries, has suffered, you know, there's a lot of stuff that went on off the field, a lot of impactful stuff that all swung negatively against the Fedora era. It's not a roster you're inheriting and building back from scratch at all. It's a good brand. Nike's behind it. Um, They just signed signed his best. I think the 2018 class was his best yet, if I remember right. And they take all this momentum and all this sort of progressive thought and the people I had spoken with that are around North Carolina said, Hey, we can, we really make this cool for lack of a better term. And, and I agree. I thought that was, I thought that was a smart move. Um, so you got, you got the coolest, uh, you got the coolest grandpa at the golf course. You got Mac Brown. Um, here's what I can tell you about this hire. This is um, a lot of these hires so far have been very, very specific and deliberate and decided and a long time ago and lazy. Yeah, I'm going to let you speak your piece in a second, but just just to convey the news part of this, um, it was something that was decided a while back. It was it was they never really did a full search. They never went out and and said, "Oh, hey, search firm or other AD or other person, like what are you hearing? Coaches we'd be interested in, young guys on the right." Nope, they wanted Mac Brown. Um, it was very similar to the situation at Kansas, and in which you got a very similar product in Les Miles. I will say this, for what it's worth. This is a marginally better. Actually, no, it's a way better hire. It's a bad hire, flat out. And I can just, I can hear you getting ready. I can hear the gears turning. Okay, but it's, it's a way better. It's a bad hire that's still a way better hire than Kansas hiring less miles. All right, take it away. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we can go into the. It's hard to compare those two hires because North Carolina won 11 games a couple years ago and Kansas hasn't won 11 games in like a decade total. But um, Les Miles, as of two years ago, Les Miles was a 5,000 times better head coach than Mac Brown was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Like Les Miles' last four full seasons at LSU in the SEC West with a peaking Alabama, he won 37 games and that was disappointing. Uh, Mac Brown won 30 games in his last four years in a in a Big 12 that was not really finding itself at the moment. So, I, no, get mad. You've been mad for three days well, about this. So the Les Miles thing, I don't like that hire at all. I did think it was. I mean, I just don't understand what the ceiling is supposed to be there. I can sort of, like I've said before on this program, like I, I can kind of justify it just from a sense of a. Uh, you know, to use my Missouri background, you know, you got to get a Larry Smith before you can get a Gary Pinkle. You got to have a, a veteran guy come in and kind of clean up the mess and say, here's what a here's what a power program has to have. You got to do better here and we need to raise some money for this. And he can basically get the get everything arranged better. Um, now, less is probably is a better coach than Larry Smith. He's also probably not as organized as Larry Smith. Um, so we'll see if he can kind of wrangle that in the same way. I bet he can. And so the hope with Kansas, I mean, it's very uninspiring. The hope with Kansas is, hey, maybe he can set this up to where four years from now they can hire a good young coach. Um, but it's still like I, there's at least logic there. Mac Brown, like this is not Kansas. 
Like you could have gone out and hired a, an inspiring young guy. You could have hired the, the Mac Brown of 30 years ago, but you just swooped right in and snatched up a 67 year old ESPN anchor who was terrible his last four years as a head coach and who's been sitting on the sideline for five years. <sighs> really? This is the sound like when I write this out, it doesn't. I don't think it sounds as mean as it when it's coming out of my mouth. But he spent the last five years as an ESPN ESPN announcer, proving why he wasn't a head coach anymore. Get him, like that. Dunk on him, Bill. And and the whole idea here is well, he's going to make some. He's going to hire some good young coaches, and they're going to run it, and he's going to be the face and close on recruiting. And that's maybe, but. He tried to save his Texas job by hiring young coaches, and he ended up losing Brian Harson after two semi-effective years. Uh, and then he ended up throwing Manny Diaz overboard um, at like the first bad defensive game of 2013. So we don't even know that he can. Maybe, maybe he can hire a couple of exciting young coaches, and everything's fine. Um, as I wrote in the piece this morning as well, the whole Cliff Kingsbury thing is is kind of hilarious to me. And if if, Cliff, if that's the best job offer that Cliff Kingsbury gets, uh, fire his agent immediately. His his agent needs to find a new line of work entirely. Who is it? Burkhardt, I think. Um, something tells me he's going to get a job offer just a wee bit better than North than Mac Brown's offensive coordinator, but. I mean, <laughs> this it, it can work because all hires can work. And and Herm Edwards wasn't a disaster in year one. There's nothing like Mac Brown might not be a disaster here. He can probably sign top twenty five classes. Fedora just signed a top twenty or twenty five class uh, last year. But uh, after all this maneuvering last year, Arizona State fired Todd Graham and ended up with basically Todd Graham, uh, a guy who has the who had basically the same exact ratings on offense and defense, had the same record, and is now struggling in recruiting the way Graham was this time last year. And so, like, except also he's like twenty years older than Todd Graham. So what are we doing here? Like, if this if this was the best you could do, just ride it out with Fedora another year, see if he can sign some more good recruits and. I don't know. This is just the most uninspiring hire I've ever seen. It can work to a certain degree. They can win eight games. They're, hell, they're in the ACC Coastal. If nobody ever gets their act together, they can win 11 like UNC did a couple of years ago. But like four years from now, you're going to be doing this all over again. Um, and you didn't have to. You, you didn't have to punt. You aren't Kansas. You don't need a guy to come in and spruce things up for the next guy. You could have hired a, a very exciting young coach. Uh, USC's not moving. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're not in the head coaching carousel. As of, as of right now, Auburn's not, but I mean, that could change at any moment for all we know. Um, you kind of had, you know, as far as we know, Urban Meyer is going to be there next year. So Ohio State's not moving. Like none of the big names are really doing much here. You could have taken one of the top names off the pile and you hired a 67 year old ESPN color commentator. It's, it's just, it's lazy. It's a punt. It might work out reasonably well for a second. And then you got to go hire somebody new anyway. I just, good old boys. (laughs) Last part. I would, uh, I would definitely echo that part about, um, this was a market made for North Carolina. Yeah. But the good old boy network really seems to be asserting itself in college football even more than normal, which I guess makes sense because that's how the rest of the world is acting too at the moment. But this really does seem to be like a booster coup as much as anything. And boosters angry are old people. Angry local dad, Bill Connolly. Angry local <laughs> college town liberal dad, Bill Connolly. Angry old boosters are uh, angry and old. And... Uh, they tend to make angry and old choices. So, congrats though. You, you congrats on on. Uh, 
I know this I, might alarm people. I don't ever, rarely do I watch those hiring press conferences unless I, I watch them. I never uh, do. I watch them in hindsight if I'm doing a profile or something. Yeah, like I that. ended up watching the Arizona State one because so many people were freaking out. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> that's like, that's just good. I mean, that's better than half the shit on Netflix. Um, the uh, I don't think he's had it yet, has he? I'm dying no, to just, know what the pitch is, man. I just want to know what the pitch is. The like, pitch is I wanted back in the coaching game, and I no, 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 not the real pitch. I want, I want the fake one this time. I want to know what your, what's your platform, bro? What are we gonna do, back? How long are you gonna do this, by the way? Right, he's sixty-seven, <laughs> and he looks unlike uh, this. Is no one says that. I'm no one say says that. that about Nick Saban, who's a image. Yeah, well. Slightly Nick, different. Yeah. Nick result, Saban has had a little business. bit. Nick Saban's had a little bit uh, different of a decade than Mac Brown has. It does suck for sure. It just does. Um. All right. You feel good. Do you feel better? Yeah. I mean, the last thing, and I want to. I want to think on this a little more. I, I put it is just a paragraph in the in the piece I wrote this morning. But basically, like, yeah, this could work out okay. Basically, and that's and fine. Whatever. North Carolina might win some games. Great. But like, part of the reason why the this year has felt so eventless as a whole is that not enough other p5 programs outside of that top dominant tier really had any sort of act together this year there aren't any surprising names atop college football or anywhere near the top of college football um and if a north carolina were to go out and find the next mac brown say you know a guy with his same last name who coaches a Troy right now or whoever that might be went out and really tried to find the next guy and got you know truly energized its program for the next 5 or 10 years they're in a fertile recruiting base they could really start to build something i realize we say this about north carolina every time it opens so there's obviously you know it, it's hard but why are we not try, why are we not aiming for that why aren't we why aren't p5 programs like Arizona State and North Carolina aiming for something bigger and more long term to maybe get themselves together a little bit. But I mean, it's good for Troy. <laughs> it might keep Nia Brown again. It's good for App State. Scott Satterfield might be there, be there forever at this point. Um, I had a friend, uh, a Mizzou guy, who was asking me. You know, David Yost, the former Mizzou offensive coordinator, is Utah State's offensive coordinator. So he, I was getting asked about like, hey, if Matt Wells gets a job somewhere, does he? Is he going to be a P5 OC again? Does he maybe want the Utah State job? And and my answer is basically like, well, we don't hire like P5s don't hire G5 head coaches anymore apparently. So Matt Wells is going to be at Utah State forever. So it's just really boring. It's just a lazy which which, boring... which we would be fine with. We would be fine with if G5 schools were afforded the same opportunity right. in the playoffs. Right. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Troy being good long term. But that's in the environment we live in. G5s don't exist. So it, it it's it doesn't. It, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to have a shot at anything ever. So, like, what does it matter if they're good or not? Which I don't is, know. This I, is the I, most I, cynical I, point for me in the year when people start making lazy coaching decisions instead of ones that are actually fun to talk about. Our uh, our friend Tom Fernelli over at CBS had a nice little tweet thread that I retweeted just as we were going on this morning um, to record because he was refuting a Dan Wetzel column where Wetzel basically said that yeah. point, the conference championship weekend is totally pointless. Now, Wetzel has always been – I, I very much admired Wetzel when I was starting out as a national guy because he wrote Death to the BCS and, and really didn't flinch once in that book, taking it to a lot of the people in power. Um, right. I disagree with Wetzel on some other things. Um, obviously, Yahoo Sports College football team has a lot of love for me. Um, but <laughs> but I, 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 would, I would love to debate Dan on this one because 
there's a ton of stuff going on. Like there, there are, there's a, a multitude there's of programs. stuff going on, but I mean, there's a multitude of programs where like, this is it. This week matters more than the bowl, you know? <laughs> um, no, this is true. Like, yeah. um, I'll give you a good example. Like, and we'll get to all these, all this job nonsense craziness in a second. But like, you know, I was breaking the Western Kentucky news and the context of that job is shaped by winning the conference USA championship and not by whatever the hell bowl they went to. Um, when they won those conferences, I think it was like a Boca Bowl, and then maybe maybe it was one of the years of the Bahamas Bowl. Like nobody knows, but they definitely know that they won the Conference USA Championship. I think the same goes for in coaching circles. It matters it, to boosters. I think it matters. I mean, mm-hmm. saying championship and winning a conference, it does matter. It matters on every level. I mean, I just got done saying I don't find any interest, or I don't find it in SB Nation's interest to pay for me to go and try and create something about the Pac-12 Championship. But <laughs> Rose Bowl, I mean Rose Bowl, right? Rose no, Bowl, like, like, and and I have issues with the Rose Bowl in terms of their stranglehold on just enough of that playoff structure to to, to block some things from happening. However, people of Washington right now, Utah, like, come on, man, that would be that's their thing. I saw it firsthand, and it's it didn't change my opinion. It just made me respect theirs when I did the Iowa Stanford Rose Bowl a couple of years ago, where people from Iowa flat out told me they would rather go to the Rose Bowl <laughs> right. and get their ass stomped by Stanford, which they did, <laughs> than go to I think it was the Cotton that year in the semis and get their and ass, get their stomped, ass by stomped by Alabama, right, right? Which is what Michigan State did. Yeah. So I get it. Um, there's a ton of stuff to play for this week, and I, I I completely disagree with that notion. I mean, just we'll we'll break down that stuff on Thursday. But like off the top of my head, I'm interested in UAB and Middle Tennessee State. Hell all yeah. joking aside, like <clears throat> I'm interested in the Sun Belt Championship. Like like Louis, uh, ULL being there in year one, like uh, of that. I mean, that's huge. Um, I, just off the top of my head, I mean. UCF Memphis is a really important game. <laughs> and it's like the fourth time they've played in two years, and the last two of them have been amazing games. And, yeah, it definitely it has massive implications for the conference title. It has implications for the G5's New Year's Six bid. Technically, it has national title implications because if, US, if UCF wins and Ohio State loses and Georgia loses and Oklahoma loses, uh, I still think they get screwed, but there's a chance they don't. Um, you know, this, so yeah, the, yeah, I just hate after all this, the, 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 that hasn't happened this year. Um, we're, we're now going to denigrate the conference championship games when something actually is happening. I understand that there's a chance that this you is, know, look flat out. I'm just going to interrupt you. This is because the big 10 championship sucks. And because everyone knows Alabama is going to beat Georgia. That's, that's the truth. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't even, I didn't click on his article because I rolled my eyes at the headline. But um, And there's a bunch of purist, there's a bunch of purist assholes, and I don't think this applies to Wetzel, but like there's a bunch of purist assholes who are mad that like that Red River is happening twice in the same year. Get over yourself. Yeah, I mean. At least they made a conference championship game. It's a completely <laughs> well, stupid way to do it, but at well, least it I was exists. about to say, like, I, I'm, I, I kept rolled my eyes when they created it, too, because yeah, they didn't. I mean, I'm fine with it. I did, teams, I did like yeah. that, uh, that Chris Del Conte, the AD at Texas, was like, nope, that you, you don't get the hat back if you win. <laughs> it's only the hat. Only, <laughs> the hat is only on the line at Red River. It's our hat. I, I, would be I like surpri- that. I would be surprised if he, like, again, I, I didn't click on it, so it's kind of weird me speculating on something I could actually read. But, uh, like, Alabama, Georgia, I assume, isn't really the point here. Um, no, the point but, is that everyone thinks Northwestern is going to get a right. vaporized I, by Ohio State, probably and they will. probably are. Probably will, but they might not. <laughs> oh, also Pitt sucks. Yes. Uh, and, and there's a chance that both Clemson and Ohio State win by 60, and that stinks, but maybe not. 
this could be like the rest hey, of the year where it was just a giant tease that we were hoping for something to happen and then it didn't. But we sure uh, as hell but, thought Clemson and Miami was going to be a good game last year, didn't we? <laughs> well, <laughs> after what they did against Pitt, I'm not sure, but we were hoping. Yeah. Um, but yeah, come on. This is the like. This is for a, like at least a month. We've been gearing up for championship week in in Alabama, Georgia, and all these other things. And now it's here. We're gonna we're gonna crap on that too. I crap on everything that, that could possibly be called a pointless relic. And conference championship games are not pointless relics. Come Dude, on. I got a holler. We got a holler at Wetzel about this because regardless of the people he works with, the merit badge stormtroopers at Yahoo college football like wetzel that book death of the bcs i know it doesn't matter anymore because the, BC, right. the, the BCS because died. it happened <laughs> there was wish fulfillment but it really did galvanize the way i wanted to cover college football yeah and it's i'm reading fornelli's stream here too and it's good it's basically what i would have said like we're basically we're complaining about everything all the terrible structure in college football and then we're also basically saying make it more like the nfl um, and that makes no damn sense. Like he, he mentioned that he said, ask Minnesota players if beating Wisconsin was meaningless because it didn't get them in the playoff. Yeah. Like, did you see those pictures of everybody holding that damn ax for like the first time in 15 years? That was amazing. That was like the best thing about the weekend. Sorry to our Wisconsin listeners. And, and he said, and then Fornelli says the worst part of the college football playoff isn't that it's only four teams. It's that it's becoming the only thing we focus on from a macro perspective of the sport. And he's right. I mean, even we go out of our way not to, and we do sometimes, um, and I and I'm all for an 18 playoff, but not because conference championship games are pointless relics. <sighs> Feel better? Apparently not. Apparently, this is going to be the whole theme of the damn show. It's a weird week. It's definitely a weird week. Um, job openings. I don't even know how much we commit to the podcast segment on this because things are moving quickly, and we will be outdated just as quick. So um, the ones, kind of a strange year. I know we have this looming Auburn thing, which I don't believe for the record. Um, That didn't stop me from spending an hour and a half on the phone about it last night. But um, Texas Tech is sort of the center of the universe right now. It's kind of weird. Um, I think Maryland is very, very engaged with Mike Loxley. Um, Loxley obviously is not going to make a move on that until after his, well, more of his Alabama Right. commitments are fulfilled Who knows how much yeah um which is totally understandable and it's kind of become procedural for alabama and yep. its assistance we've seen this with kirby we've seen this with kiffin um am i leaving anyone out no um but you know i texas tech it's kind of the way they're playing this right now it's very interesting um we saw an outpouring of people uh telling great cliff kingsbury stories it's worth mentioning um, Cliff has always been, I know it was like the hot, literally the hot coach and then the <laughs> hot young coach. And then it was like the cool coach and the, but like, he was a, a good person to be around and is a good person to be around. And, um, people have talked about his future. Um, and I know you joked about him going to North Carolina. He's not doing that. He's no. not going to Alabama either, by the way. Ah, um, well, Cliff, Okay. That, I'm, I, my morbid curiosity kind of wanted that to happen, but at the same time, I didn't really want that to happen. <laughs> anyway. um, if I'm if I'm putting money down right now, Cliff Kingsbury is going to be in the National Football yeah. League next yeah, year, I which figured. is where he, which is where honestly, the situation at Tech becoming uh, more and more specific oh, the last couple of years in terms of expectation, reality, and what's available and resources. Mm. I think Cliff grew tired of a lot of it. He also lives in a fishbowl there as a young single guy. 
Um, he's going to go to the league where he's incredibly well-connected, where he's incredibly well-respected. He is a fantastic quarterbacks coach. I think he'd be, honestly, I think in the right situation, he'd be a fantastic play caller. Yeah. Obviously, the league, the wall has come down in such a dramatic yeah. way in the league that in the McVay, Kyle Shanahan, um, uh, who's the play caller in uh, Matt, uh, the, 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 the OC of the Titans? Is it Matt LaFleur? Um, oh, uh, uh uh, pie. Yeah, see, so. see, you Look guys don't want right. us to talk about the NFL, so I just didn't study that. Um, there's a strong amount of of interest now in young, dynamic, sort of collegiate focused guys, and he's going to be totally fine. Yeah, so yeah, the NFL is looking to hire like the most dynamic spread offense uh, coach in college football, and the biggest college football job on the market just hired Mac Brown. <laughs> This is why we're becoming an NFL podcast. Apparently, because that's where the that's where the fun college stuff is is now happening. Apparently, um, I get it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep sighing throughout the rest of the show. I get it. Um, all right. So Texas Tech as a job, um, yep. there's a split. There's a split narrative here. Um, the split narrative is they're gonna go back to the well. Or they're going to do something dramatically different, which for Texas Tech just means not doing air raid. Dramatically different could literally be anything other than air raid. I was about to say, last time they did dramatically different, they didn't like that either. The one thing that um, I would shoot down immediately is the Mike Leach thing. Um, He shot that down yesterday, basically. Well, here's what happens with Leach. He says stuff. feel Jason Kirk (laughs) yelling at me that this should be an article. Leach, I don't even think it's a secret anymore. Leach just puts his name out there because he wants to get one more shot or a shot at the biggest possible stage. It's usually SEC jobs. You know, he had the bags packed ready to go to Tennessee last year. I had Ole Miss boosters calling me three weeks ago saying, what do you think about Mike? Mike? We got Mike Leach. Yeah. This happens. I think any job that opens, Mike Leach is, is... going to test that water because he just wants you know it's weird the stigma like he's proven to be successful in now two power five conferences and yet there is this like triple option stigma against him the problem is he just got his ass kicked again in the apple cup and and i think among among the eccentricities and the problems that the ad's don't want to deal with and da 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 um i think it's because people do see that system as solvable at that level right or wrong well yeah i mean i don't think the apple cup really had anything to do with anything it was it was our game but um but i mean his eccentricities are always going to be the issue this was his chance to strike while the iron is hot among other things i mean what sec jobs are open so um I, I think maybe it was a little his his coming back and damn near making the Pac-12 title game little run here was uh, was was poorly timed when it came to landing a big job, a bigger job. Sorry, Washington State fans, but um, I I don't know. I also think that I don't know wh- who would really take him seriously as a candidate to begin with. He had a weird opportunity last year with Tennessee. Um, and I don't really know that another one like that is going to come about because I mean, uh, yeah, because yeah, like a lot of, never mind the offense. A lot of people are going to look at him <laughs> and, and realize how much of a headache he's going to be. And is he going to win enough to balance that out? And, and I don't, 
oh, what the hell do I know? Like, I, I clearly don't have my finger on the pulse of what ADs are looking for at the moment. So. This Mac Brown thing has brought you to your knees. I think it was just after the Les Miles thing, just like on top, like after that coming on and, and, and coming off the top rope, just really like what, I mean, but, but really what, what do I know? Like that's when I saw that rumor popping up, I laughed, I scoffed at it and then it was real and it happened very quickly. So, but I, I really don't, Mac Brown's not Mike Leach. Uh, Mac Brown's a people pleaser. Um, that's the best quality he's got going for that job. And, and Mike Leach is absolutely positively not that he's not going to have a bunch of, of angry old boosters on his side. I didn't like though, when his, when he was asked about Texas tech, he basically said, well, they haven't paid me for Oh nine. I'm not going back there. And that was that, <laughs> um, the other side. So there's the Texas tech side of like, okay, Mike Leach that I can tell you not happening way too many wounds and situations. Yeah. You have the Dana Holgerson, Seth Luttrell, Neil Brown, tree of air raid and air raid ish you know yeah then you have far less orthodox guys than mike leach yeah then you have yeah and that's the thing is it really is it's not smart it's not it's really not even good journalism to just lump those guys together which is what a lot of people in the media are doing like we've talked about on this show before neil brown really broke down a lot of air raid preconceptions in that he just didn't he he needed to run personnel a different way to be successful and he did he did. He wasn't, you know, uh, it was one of the things his, um, oh man, I'm having a day right now. Um, <laughs> his old OC, the, uh, the OC that was at Cal, the OC that is. Oh God. Um, yeah. See, see, sorry. I was, I was, I was already, I was scrolling. I was zipping ahead in the conversation to where I was going to talk about, um, North Texas. And, and then I, I completely lost the thread there. Tony Franklin. Thank you, Tony Franklin, Middle Tennessee State. Uh, got fired at Auburn, drug his books out in the parking lot. It's one of the famous photos. He <laughs> laughed about it. I asked him. Um, it's yeah, it's it's not good to group all those people together, but that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of it is this whole contrarian thing. So one of the things I want to not shoot down, but I just want to sort of like put out there for people to digest is so everybody talks about Brent Venables all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. he's, become, he's like just like Chad Morris, a former uh, very well paid Clemson coordinator. Brent has a really good life. Um, and people just inevitably assume that if you're a top coordinator, one, you're going to be a head coach. Two, you're going to be a successful head coach. And three, that you want to be a head right. coach. So here's the Brent Venable's perspective. Okay. I'm not even going to talk about the fact that he recruited his son. Right. I was about to say, like he said yesterday, like I, I don't want to yes. feel like a hypocrite right yeah. here. Yeah. Every, okay. So everybody talked about how he recruited his son. Cause here's the thing on sons. They can easily show up on another team and they usually <laughs> yeah. do. They usually, I mean, honestly they do like the son thing. I was like, I get it, but also like, come on. So we, I mean, we've seen that happen countless times where so-and-so son, you know, in, ends up being a walk on on the next team. That's fine. Or though. it gets awkward have... and Rich Rodriguez's son stays at Arizona. I kind of like that. I mean, I kind of like he just made a decision that was best yeah. for him. Um, didn't Van Gorder's kid do that too? I think so. Yeah, yeah Van Gorder's kid stayed at Auburn, I think. Um, anyway, if you're Brent Venables, okay? <laughs> yeah. You make, I think it's 2.2 to be the coordinator at a program that, aside from, I mean, you can fact check me real fast here, Ohio State maybe five SEC schools, maybe that's about it. You have the ability to recruit as well as those schools on defense Mm -hmm. and have the best defense in the country right alongside those schools in terms of pure five-star talent that develops into NFL like NFL caliber guys, right? I should know I'm a Falcons fan. We keep drafting Clemson players. So on defense. 
So you've got that. You've got a head coach who leaves you alone. Complete, <laughs> no, I mean completely. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> completely. You are the quarterback of that defense. You, it is yours to construct. So you get to – so let's review real fast. $2.2 million a year. Yeah, your son's there. You get to run what you want. You get to recruit the best players in the country and really fight shoulder to shoulder with every there, – there's not a program that's going to come in and just automatically trump you. You know, right. that's the big concern at Florida State and Miami and the ACC schools is like now Clemson is a permanent force to be reckoned with. So – you can go in and you can beat a kid at Clemson now who, who's looking at Georgia or Alabama, right? Yeah. Why are you going to go to Texas Tech and make probably only about $500,000 more a year, maybe less, maybe less, to then have to deal with a roster that if you're Brent Venables, you're probably going to have to, to gut, overhaul, and then figure out how to play defense in the Big 12, at least your kind of defense, all right? On top of that, you are now obligated to do a litany of bullshit tasks that a lifelong defensive coordinator, a guy like Venables, who I've interviewed a couple times, I'm pretty sure doesn't want to do. <laughs> right. Doesn't want to be on the golf course with the boosters. Doesn't want to be at the dinners. Doesn't want to. <laughs> doesn't want to take those phone calls. Doesn't want to do the, the the weekly golden flake potato chip hour. If you're Brent Venables, you dude, you're making two million dollars and you're living the dream. So it's not a knock on Texas Tech. It's a knock on anywhere, in my opinion. Especially if you're only half if you're half ass interested in being a head coach and you have that as your fallback, hmm. just stay there. That's yep. the best job in America for a defensive coach right now. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's going anywhere. No. Um I would assume at this point. That unless there's some sort of loyalty to Kansas State, if he leaves for a head coaching job, it's a really big one. But, I mean, who, you know, priorities change. And if, if it really is, at least partially because of his kid, maybe he's a little op- more open to the idea in, in like another three years or so. Because, Lord, he's still in his 40s. He's been like a rumored as a head coach uh, for this job or that since like 1974. And he's still in his 40s right now. He's still a semi-young guy. He's barely – actually, hold on a second. Let's see here. Brent Venables, how fast can I Wikipedia? Go, 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 go. He is two years older than Scott Satterfield. I would not have thought that. No, I when I was when I was writing my Mac piece this morning, um, I was looking up like Neil Brown's age, and I got to Scott Satterfield, and I re- forgot that he was an assistant a long time. He's forty-five years old, which might be a drawback at this point. I don't know, but. Um, like he started, he, yeah, he, he's he's been a coach for 20 years. He started at App State. He went to Toledo for a year, went to FIU for two, and then came back to App. But he's been, his first year as an App assistant was 1998. He's been around for a long time. He's been around Boone, North Carolina for a long time. So that was, um, that was interesting. Sorry, you get you get the awesome distracted version of me on this show as I field text messages and Twitter DMs and signal and everything else. And I and I take the opportunity to sigh some more. That's okay. We got to get you through this Mac Brown thing. I think the other, the other part that that threw me off too was like when it happened. Like immediately, I, I I expressed not not even like outrage, just skepticism, and immediately just got crushed by UNC fans who are immediately convinced that he's the man and he's gonna like I'm an idiot, I'm lazy, I'm the one who's lazy, I'm the one who doesn't see, I don't see what's going on, and blah 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 blah. Like first of all, I was just impressed that there was UNC fan enthusiasm at something. So maybe that alone shows that it's a good hire. Um, but like, man, like just the, the, the Kool-Aid drinking happens immediately. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually just got distracted because I had an angry fan DMing me about one of the things we mentioned yesterday, as if I care. Not about that the fan's angry, that as if I'm trying to engineer something or like I care that this coach or that coach, like I'm I'm just trying to do this to the best of my ability. <laughs> I should. That's it. I love everybody. I don't hate your school. And I, I did feel bad because this morning I, I got like three different people calling me, uh, calling my Mac Brown piece clickbait. When I actually mm-hmm. said things like this could work, he could probably do pretty well in the coastal, stuff like that. It is a raw nerve type of date on the calendar. Black yeah. Sunday stuff, going through bowl season, especially some of these schools just feeling very, very impotent in terms of like, I mean, we're talking about Texas Tech, UNC, you know, people talking about Dana Holgerson leaving, West Virginia fans being either emphatic about that or upset about that. It's um, And then, of course, the Auburn situation we can mention in a second. So speaking of insane, it just means more, Bill. Um this LSU Texas A&M thing. Since we recorded on Sunday, we had promised everybody, well, we'll come back and talk about the game and how amazing the game was. Narrative driven, right? Awesome football. Just fantastic, right? Yeah. This fight thing has taken the whole game over. Yeah, seriously. Like I was only sort of paying attention to it. Like it was just this interesting little side note. Um, and then I then I realized like, I kind of waited back in last night when the Zapruder film showed up. Um, that wasn't a punch; it was a push, you know, and all that stuff. Like, man, well, that, but hey, congratulations to AM because you've been trying to get tax, uh, LSU's attention for a while now, and they've just been doing the whole well, this it, it's not a rivalry if we never lose. Well, you've got their attention now, so congrats to AM. Okay, so if you haven't been paying attention and you're just worried about football, congrats, you're normal. Um, There was a skirmish after the game ended. At first, the first thing that really pops up is a video of LSU's player personnel guy, who's Kevin Falk, who's a famous running back Mm -hmm. from LSU, played for the uh, Patriots. Um, Basically going after this young kid, kind of crew cut, white male, (laughs) early 20s, in a red polo. Uh, with a very clearly visible sideline pass dangling. Yeah, what the hell like was the red window. polo about, by the way? So this is so this is what I want to point out. Um, the kid, by the way, is Cole Fisher, who's a nephew of, um, <laughs> of the Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher. They've yet to officially acknowledge that, but it's been proven. You know, proven. I guess he's been identified by multiple media outlets. Facial recognition technology. <laughs> Probably someone tried. Yeah. You usually wear a red polo. When your school isn't uh, doesn't have the color red in their scheme, mm-hmm. if you are working the sidelines, so you'll see like you guys have seen it before. So the um, the TV official on the uh, on the referee crew, they have a red hat. You have offensive coordinators or whoever, whatever assistant to the offensive coordinators calling in a play, will have a red hat on, even if your school's colors are like blue and gold, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's so you can see them. So that was my first thought. Was it's, oh, I was like, oh man, is that like a GA that was signaling plays in? That's why he has a red polo on because it's very it's like a traditional red and not the um you know not the maroon for Texas yeah, it's quite red yeah so there's a fight uh there's there's obviously an altercation here because we see the still photography the next morning so Sunday morning into Sunday evening there's a story in the Gannett papers in Louisiana and the Advocate in Louisiana. That interviews uh, Steve Cragthorpe. Steve Cragthorpe is an analyst for LSU, 
Um, he's a former head coach at Louisville. That's probably what he's most known for. Uh, Craig's basically can't have a full-time coaching job anymore because of his Parkinson's. Um, but he's an analyst. They love him at LSU, by the way. Mm-hmm. They love him to death. Um, Craig's is a notoriously te- hot-tempered dude. Um, he's salty for sure. The story that comes out initially is that um, Cragthorpe was punched in the chest during this sort of fracas uh, involving Damian Craig, who's a wide receivers coach at A&M, who used to work on the staff with uh, for miles at LSU. <laughs> Craig was immediately kicked to the curb by Orgeron when he got the full-time job. So there's your bad blood, all right? Craig comes and gets in everybody's face about it, allegedly. I got to say allegedly to all this now because there's so many conflicting <laughs> official statements. Uh, so so Craig, after the game, is coming and kind of chirping on everybody and getting in people's faces. Cragthorpe takes, uh, you know, takes a little umbrage with that, basically goes up, according to Cragthorpe, and says, hey, don't do that. You won the game. Get out of here. Da, da, da. And then he's hit in the chest by this kid from A&M. All right? Cragthorpe tells uh, the advocate, I think, and I th- maybe the Gannett paper in, in, in Louisiana. I say Gannett paper because it's like a network. I don't know. It's the Shreveport thing. Um, that he felt his pacemaker flutter. He has a pacemaker to help his Parkinson's. Mm. That's pretty serious shit. So that's that's the story for like 24, 36 hours. There's no statement from Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher denies knowing about anything that happened. And then there's another video that comes out of... Fisher and Cole very, very specifically talking about um uh, like what happened. You can see it plain as day. He's coming up explaining all this, and then Jimbo's reacting, da 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 da. Right. So Jimbo did have knowledge of it. So now it's all pro LSU anti AM to this point on where are we at at this point, Bill? Like Monday. I was about to yeah, say like Monday afternoon. Yesterday, this is insane. This is such a dumb story in the middle of everything else that's going on. Then AM fans are all over Twitter saying, no, no, of course not. No, 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 no. You guys don't know the full story, the full story, the full story. I on Twitter was like, well, look, the full story is like an old man with Parkinson's. A man in his like late 50s or whatever got punched in the chest. And the reason why I feel confident saying this on Twitter is that one, LSU told me. Two, he gave interviews to local media. <laughs> right. He said it. And he, three, he the spoke words to came the po- out of his mouth. And he spoke to the police. <laughs> oh, seriously, I didn't even know that. So I'm like, okay. Then last night, Brent, uh, I always pronounce, uh, I mispronounce his name, Brent uh, Zwinnerman, I think, um, reporter in Dallas who covers the Aggies, has a video, finds a video that's a wide view, obviously shot from like the press box or the stands or whatever, of sort of the entire field after the game. You know, the big like mass of people that come out. And you can isolate it because Cole Fisher's wearing a red shirt and see that it's not so much a punch as it is like a, a pretty heavy shove. Yeah. All right. You also see an LSU player uh, hit Cole. Yeah, and I then see. you see uh, Kevin Falk go through and confront him. Okay. So now I'll, now, now uh, A&M fans are all over <laughs> This is so dumb. A&M fans are now all over social media saying, not only did it not go down that way, Steve Crackthorpe's lying and lied to the police and lied to the media about being punched in the pacemaker. And it was all sour grapes on LSU's part. Now, no one refutes that Damian Craig is running around talking shit. And obviously no one can refute that Falk basically jumped that kid's ass. Well, and the safety, what's his name? The safety hit him good. Yeah. 
which I can tell you this, uh, I am no uh, tough guy MMA fighter, but I spent a decent amount of my 20s in bars, working in bars, and spent some ill-advised nights fighting in bars. When you get into a crowd of people like that, and a fight starts, don't stop fighting and always protect yourself. <laughs> I know it looks awkward because everybody, usually when you're in that, that kind of mess of people and everyone's jawing at each other, is usually when you get hit in the jaw. I've seen it happen a thousand times. You have people that are potential aggressors to you in your blind spots, your six. Like, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea for any of this dumb shit to happen. It's especially not a good idea to instigate something, push push somebody, hit somebody, and then not immediately either get to a defensive position, at least know your surroundings, or or keep your hands up. Yeah. You're going to get clocked in the face. I mean, you can go on Instagram and watch this stuff happen all the time. It's one of my guilty pleasures on Instagram is watching college <laughs> bar fights, uh, mainly because I'm it's I'm nostalgic having thrown so many douchebag frat boys out of a bar uh, in Oxford. But like you see it happen, push, 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 jaw, 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 and of course now everybody has a camera phone. They'll like push, fake fight, fake fight, and then someone from the periphery, someone from the um, what's the uh, what's the kind of vision I'm talking about that's lateral. And not in front of you. Peripheral. peripheral vision, yeah. Someone from the peripheral vision will come up and just smoke you. It happens all the time. And yeah. that's basically what happened here to Fisher. Not right, by the way. Don't do that. Uh, bad. Bad on LSU for doing that. This whole thing is so stupid. It's unbelievably stupid. And do you know who the dumbest the dumbest party involved in all this is? Who's that? The Southeastern Conference. Because the Southeastern Conference <laughs> comes out and blames the Egg Bowl. Oh, seriously? Seriously? Uh, Greg Sankey is calling John Cohen and Ross Bjork, the athletic directors at Mississippi State and Ole Miss, respectively, into his office. He's released a statement because there was a fight on Thanksgiving on the field in Oxford after Mississippi State beat that ass. All over a flag being planted. Now, which I'm I'm going to go ahead and talk out of turn, and if some Ole Miss person wants to refute this, that's fine, but I, I want proof. I was at the Egg Bowl last year shooting foul play. And I wasn't on the field after the game, mainly because we were trying to keep as low a profile as possible to shoot as much stuff as we could. But I'm 99% sure that an Ole Miss player took an Ole Miss flag from the band, as they do, or the wherever those things, or the cheerleaders, I'm sorry, and planted it on, on the turf in Starkville. Okay? It's a big move. It's a dick move. It's big energy, whatever you want to call it. It happens all the time. A Mississippi State player returned the favor. What they beat what was that thirty-five to three that game? Thirty-five or thirty-eight. Ass. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, yeah, they stomped their ass. Um, Ole Miss is in disarray for multiple reasons. So after the game, Mississippi State player plants the flag. Then you have a fracas ensue, which is this stuff's going to happen. Those players hate each other. They hate each other for the actions of a bunch of adults who are supposed to have their best interest at heart. But I digress for another podcast. <laughs> In the middle of this, a guy named Michael Thompson, who's an associate AD or assistant AD or whatever, he's under Ross Bjork at Ole Miss, gets involved with the kid trying to plant the flag, holding the flag. This infuriates the Mississippi State coaches, specifically Joe Moorhead. There's a great video of Moorhead losing it on the field where he's basically saying, hey, it's that MFing athletic director trying to like, we're trying to calm it down and this idiot's trying to keep it going. <laughs> and you know Moorhead and I know Moorhead and we love, we love us some Joe Moorhead. Takes a lot Moorhead to get him that worked up. Exactly. Joe Moorhead to be that pissed off 
has to have pretty good damn reason. And I'm telling you this as the <laughs> alleged old Miss conspirator, right? That's what I've been painted out to be. I guarantee you there are old Miss people out there getting butt hurt because they got stomped and then tried and basically in the middle of the of the the skirm or the scrum or whatever either said or did something completely out of line. That's my strong assumption based on my very, 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 very specific expertise on how Ole Miss works. <laughs> the reason I know this and believe this strongly, Bill, is that Moorhead specifically, and honestly, to his credit, Matt Luke, who's an Ole Miss alumnus and grew up in Mississippi, um, they have both done everything in their power to yeah. tamp down the Egg Bowl stuff. I think Moorhead fundamentally doesn't care, which is the right way to approach that stuff. Mullen used it as a professional crutch for years, especially as Mississippi State plateaued. Mullen would continually curry favor with with the people in Starkville because he swept Houston Nutt, and he was up on that rivalry. So they weren't as good as he had promised, and he was also was floundering as he was trying to get out of Starkville. He would constantly sort of re-energize his base by by doing the whole school up north and basically being as aggressive as humanly possible to Ole Miss. It saved his ass on multiple occasions. The problem is it really did put the rivalry at maybe – I mean I'm sure some historian would say like, well, it was, it was worse than 26 or whatever. Like it's, it was pretty, it's pretty damn bad like all time, okay? Moorhead – the last thing Joe Moorhead gives a shit about is Ole Miss, all right? They were a bad football team that Mississippi State was way better than in every phase of the game. So I refuse to believe anyone saying that the coaches have a problem here, let alone – so the SEC, to my bigger point, Bill – Wants to blame this on two athletic directors who, in Ross Bjork's case, has shown a capacity for the inability to manage anything in terms of his own program. And Cohen, who I don't know what the hell Cohen did. Dan Mullen's gone. The people who caused this acrimony, who caused these kids to hate each other so much, and who also let the NCAA come through with complete and total restriction-free authority and pit two schools against each other and their individual kids and families, of course this shit spilled out. People want to blame me individually because I wrote about it and I took a bunch of confidential documents that I got leaked from the NCAA and showed how the sausage got made. This rivalry is in a really bad place. The SEC hasn't done shit about it in years. They haven't. They didn't do shit when LSU and Florida were fighting each other over hurricanes, Bill. Yeah. So back in Baton, or sorry, back in College Station, what are they going to do there? Nothing. I've talked with people involved at both schools. Neither, neither school expects the SEC to do anything that they feel would be suitable for the situation. The whole "it just means more" thing has finally, like, it's it's they it, they they spoke it into existence. Okay, where you have this kind of stuff happening after the game. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge it. I'm curious how much coverage the SEC network has given to it. Probably none, because that that shit's turned into the Russian national television. So, you're gonna call two ads to the principal's office. What the hell do you think you're gonna do? Oh, and they find like a And M, like like forty grand or something like that. The richest athletic program in the country. <laughs> That'll stop it. We're cranky today. This is the dumbest shit the SEC's done in a minute. Yeah, I mean, the whole Greg Sankey's entire leadership platform has basically just been, uh, it'll work itself out. Yes, and that's and, a and look, stark that contrast, Bill, to what to what was built before him by Mike Sly. 
Right. And, and I mean, that works great for me, like in my house, like if we haven't, you know, Jamie will ask, well, like, what, what are we going to do for dinner this week? And I'll just kind of let it, let it sit for a little while. And the answer kind of comes after a while or, you know, problems pops up. And then by the, if you wait a minute to acknowledge it, sometimes it takes care of itself, like on, a, you know, a computer or something like that's all great. But if you're a league commissioner with a bunch of real people uh, beneath you, you might want to take a little bit more of a proactive approach. I would say so. Um, so that thing happened. And now people are trying, like, I got, I got angry A&M fans. I got indignant LSU fans. Um, if I were to write anything right now, I would say this stuff's inevitable. And, I mean, I don't know what you want here. Like, it's going to happen. It's it's a part of the game. It's a part of the game at the highest level where people care the most because it just means more. And I'm not trying to be flippant. It's all true. Yeah, Damian Craig started it because he was mad that Ed Orgeron kicked his ass out the door. That's how the whole thing started. Is Craig at fault? Is Orgeron at fault? I don't know. No. These things happen. <laughs> Everybody got salty after the game. I'm sure LSU's butt was hurt. Of course it was. Did you see how that game ended? Do you see how that game went to the <laughs> went to overtime? They're furious about the officiating. So, yeah, people are going to be mad. They're going to be salty. Don't hit anybody. Y'all yeah. stop hitting each other after games. Also, <laughs> sl- also, slappies, you're in pads, you morons. And if you're a coach, you're old, you morons. I was about to say, like, the, the players doing it, at least they have the excuse of being, like, at a stupid age. Like, No, yeah. see, I still, I, still, I still just don't understand it. Like players are hitting I, I each other. Your, your body is covered in protective yeah. plastic, you moron. Yeah, like if you're if you're if you're trying to throw a body shot, it's it's fine because you can. It's not going to really probably hurt your hand all that much, and and you don't have to worry about accidentally really hurting a guy. You can just you know it. It's it's like punching you know a a, a, a dummy of some sort. So that's fine. But yeah, when when people start swinging their open or not open fists, but their their uncovered fists, ungloved fists at helmets, that's uh that, that's a. Uh, that's my favorite. I had, a, I had a coach tell me anecdotally one time. I only get mad if they get in fights where they take their helmets off to talk to talk shit first, because then they've just exposed their heads. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Morons. Morons. <laughs> and yeah, if you're a coach, if you're a player personnel, if you're whatever, if you're Cole Fisher, who I'm sure is a delight, don't don't hit people. It's a football game, you idiots. Yeah. It's a football game, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Last piece of madness. The home of madness. Uh-oh. The cradle of college football insanity. On ye old planes. Oh, yeah. We started to go down this road like 20 minutes ago, and then we... I know. I had to yell. I had to yell for a second. You had to yell about North Carolina. I had to yeah, yell about is, how this stupid... this has just been one big therapy session, basically. No, it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, situation at Auburn is that... There was no situation at Auburn. I had been told that the statement by Alan Green, the athletic director, a couple weeks back, that nothing, you know, Gus Malzahn's our coach, da, 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 come back 19, was premature. However, the substantial nature of that buyout um, is apparently not enough to dissuade some people. According to, there's a reporter in Alabama who's been stoking this. Um, he it is not a sports reporter, and I'm not about to go about. Um, discrediting this dude but i know that he's like i'm trying to find his name real fast um it's not a situation in which so he's not a guy who would normally report on the program um this happens a lot josh moon i'm sorry josh moon who works for the alabama reporter has been tweeting out all of this stuff in the last 24 hours that 
there's a movement underway to to handle the buyout for Gus, which would be uh, north of $30 million. $30 million. Speculation is out there that it could be for either Jeff Brom or Bob Stoops. So you, you trust nothing and everything at the same time during silly season. I am not about to go about picking apart some other reporter because I don't care. He might be right. He might be wrong. Follow your folly. Okay? Let's just talk about those two situations for a second. Okay? Bill, what's Purdue's record? I know. I was about to – that was going to be my, my drop-in. Like, it would be amazing if uh, – and, again, Jeff Brom's great. He's going to be great. Like, that's that, that aside, though – uh, you're pissed about going seven and five with Gus Malzahn, so you're going to hire a guy who went thirteen and twelve the last two years at Purdue. Currently um, six and six. Yep. Okay. Um, it would cost roughly sixty million dollars to pull all this off to get Jeff Brom. So just let, let's stop for a second. And now some of that sixty would have to be paid out in a very aggressive, immediate manner. Yeah. And depend, depending on how they would structure the buyout, what would be uh, amateurized what would be install pay, and then what would be – would he negotiate something less? Which, by the way, all, I love all these people. That was something that I can tell you guys happened at Western Kentucky was they met with Mike Sanford earlier in the week, and they were like, hey, let's talk about reducing your buyout. And I was like, what? <laughs> that happens sometimes, which is amazing yeah. because you negotiate the buyout at the, up front. Also, if someone says, hey, let's talk about your that, – that would be like a, our employers coming in and be like, hey, let's talk about the severance. It's the union negotiated severance that Vox Media has. Like, is there any way we could lessen that? No reason. I would, no reason. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it. it's just, just hypothetically. Um, so if I was Gus, I, of course, would tell them to F themselves, right? This is what you agreed to. Yeah. Stupid, yes. Ridiculous. But you agreed to it. His buyout doesn't go south until like 2020, where it's even remotely manageable, and it's still insane. It's still like 20-something. Um. So okay, we have these two theories, Bill. That we're gonna hire us. We're gonna spend sixty million dollars to hire a five hundred Purdue coach. <laughs> Just let that soak in. I'm yeah. serious. Who's being criticized for his recruiting ability at Western Kentucky? Okay. Yeah, uh, that's right. Right now he now and I will say this to Brom's credit has put together a really really good class at Purdue so far. He's sort of coming into his own as a recruiter. It took some time though. But here's my here is this guy Jesus Christ? Is that so? Because that's Jesus Christ money, literally. You say Jesus Christ when someone says it's going to cost $60 million to fire one coach and hire another. What the? Oh, I hadn't checked Purdue's class in a while. They are 25th, but they also have 24 commits, so they're about to get hawked down by a bunch of other teams. They but are, anyway, but anyway, I mean, anyway, like... That's, that's, that's still solid. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, the, the, a couple of things I've heard from rival coaches this year. The first thing is they're like, actually, they, they are pulling some kids in. They're getting kids' attention, like... With the idea of they're not going to have a blockbuster class in 19, but they are headed towards having consistently better and more talented classes. No, like that. Yeah, the recruit average is good. They're not going to be 25th, but it's still pretty, it's still quite good for Purdue. Anyway, sorry to sidetrack there. Um, And then the other situation, of course, is Bob Stoops. Yeah. (sighs) Tis the season, I guess. Um, uh, If you spend $60 million. By the way, that that's the that's the Brom paradigm. I don't know what it would cost yeah. for Bob Stoops. Um, which by the way, who by the way, I think is not ever going to come near this trash fire. Do you it, think well, that if it you're would Bob take Stoops, a lot of money for him too, yes. He has a lot of money. Yeah. His wife, 
His wife's Mary Kay hustle was good enough for them to buy a very big house on the Gold Coast in Chicago. You won a national championship. They're going to build a statue of you at Oklahoma. Okay, you resurrected Oklahoma, and you turned them into. They already a- have built a statue of him. It's oh, already, okay, it's cool. Already, yeah, it's up. It's up. Good to know. Yep. Um, you turned them into a perennial machine. Mm-hmm. You left on your own terms. <laughs> Sorta. Yeah, I've heard things, but anyway. Dude, what was their record with the the year he retired? Um. Good. It was good, but anyway, I've heard things. Think but, about, I mean, yeah, I've heard things too, and I get that there was going to be a there was going to be a an end to that relationship, probably in in the, in a future nearer mm-hmm. than what Stoops expected. But uh, but look, it didn't happen. No. He 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 went out on his own terms. Yep, and he seems he to li- enjoy retirement too. He likes Lincoln. It all makes sense. What in the world are you doing, Auburn? I don't believe it for a second. Is this is this to to like swing a dick at at Nick Saban? Well, also, um, if this were full cast, I, we could end this by me saying, "Here in nine years, North Carolina can hire him when he's sixty-seven. But, and then we um, just stop recording. Yeah, but I won't. I mean, I I just right I, now I mean, I'm struggling to understand any of that. Yeah, I, this really is. Um, Auburn, you know, we, we've gotten in trouble before by talking about how Auburn is always crazy, and they're, they technically they don't do crazy things all that often. Pat Day, Pat Dye stayed there a long time. Like most coaches, stay there quite a while. It's it's a reasonably stable job, and that's fine. Um, but what we've learned here this year is that it's really not that Auburn does things crazy. It's that they basically anytime anybody else does something crazy, it's like they 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 feel challenged and they're like, oh yeah, well we could do something real crazy if we want to, and then they don't, but they just want it known that they could, like they that they that they can be the crazy guy in the fight at all times, and we're gonna always be on our toes with what Auburn might end up doing. Um, I didn't think like, I mean, the, the latest things we've heard over these last couple of days, it is a reminder that Gus Malzahn knows it, Gus Malzahn is actually sentient and uh, a human who hears things. And so he's been pushing back a little himself about the stuff that he's heard. And I thought that was, you know, kind of a fun reminder that these rumors don't happen in a vacuum, I guess. But, um, yeah, it just, the payoff and basically again like Gus Malzahn whatever his average win total is probably about nine per year you'd be basically paying 60 million dollars in the hopes that a guy who's never won well who who won 10 or 11 or whatever games at Western Kentucky can win you 10 at Auburn uh and and hey it's not my money so whatever very interesting situation only in that's a word for it only in that I just think it's an exercise in hyperbole right now the whole thing it's just too much money at this moment. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. No, it I'm just saying could, but I don't think the, it's gonna. the weird thing about this situation, maybe to go full circle for a second, and then we'll take some questions and get out of here, yeah. is that this is the season where North Carolina makes a really inspired hire because yep. the market is so good. And then that doesn't happen. And then you see Auburn allegedly trying to wriggle out of these massive, expensive bonds to hire who? That's been my pushback in talking with people that are connected to Auburn or even just fans. I'm like, well, who? Why are you doing this? I know you're mad. He's seven and five. I know that you're in this impossible task of competing with Alabama yep. as a, as the rival. I get it. But who out there is going to solve this problem in short order? Kirby Smart. 
That was especially mean. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's... Bill. Uh, yes. Questions. Yep. <laughs> um, so one recent one on Twitter uh, on uh, with the Ask PAPN hashtag, uh, our friend JJ Dean at JJ Dean, J-A-Y-J-O-Y Dean, um, says I've no, he says I've noticed that, that when there is movement in the S&P Plus that, that SBN underscore Bill C needs to justify that he usually says something like North Texas moved up because the stats say they would win this game 85% of the time. Say a team goes 0-12, but every game is one they quote-unquote win 85% of the time. How high is the theoretical 0-12 ceiling with S&P Plus? And what about the inverse, a 12-0 team that really should have lost every game going by the percentages? You mean Northwestern. How low could the luckiest slash worst 12-0 team be ranked by S&P Plus? Well, I mean, and then it, could the non-emotional stats put, say, an 0-12 team at number one or a 12-0 team at number 130 if their statistics made it so? Or is there a certain value placed on an actual win? So, no, there is no actual value placed on the specific did they win, yes, no. So technically anything is possible in that regard. Obviously it's not going to happen. But basically the way I, I, I have engineered S&P Plus to look at a given game is is it doesn't look at the actual result it looks at, at the at the baseline stats the thing that's the thing that produced the results and, and says like on average like you scored 38 points in this game based on what you actually produced in terms of you know the success rate and the big plays and the field position factors and the turnover expected turnovers and the um uh, red zone uh, execution and all the things that go into S&P plus based on these, you scored 38, but on average, this was really, you would have normally scored like 28.2 or something to that effect. So technically, technically every game could be that way that, you know, you actually, you know, based on the stats, you would, you should have lost this game by eight, but you won by one. Technically that can happen every game. It's not going to obviously, uh, but it doesn't. That's what it looks at. It does. It looks at that adjusted scoring figure, not the actual. Did you win? Yes, no. So anything's possible in that regard. And and I mean, there have been some five and seven or six and seven teams that crept pretty high in S and P plus. I'm, I don't. I'll have to look up next time you're answering a question. I'll look up on, on my sheet what the 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 best team with the losing record has been. Uh, but usually that's the combination of bad luck and bad and, and a hard schedule and all these other factors. And that was just five and seven. So obviously if you're, if you manage to actually go 0 and 12, you're pretty bad. And S and P is going to cause is going to say that you're pretty bad. Okay. That was fun. That was a question that had nothing to do with making me or you angry. I know we got a lot of, um, okay, here's one. Okay. Actually, uh, my buddy Steve Cavendish has two, but I like this one better. Uh, do we know any more about Jeremy Pruitt? Do we know? I think it was. Do we know more about Jeremy Pruitt or Ed Orgeron as coaches after this season? Um, a def- but default de facto is that Orgeron because he's had more time. Yeah. Um, at LSU, they've been successful. Um, the Insminger, uh, in the Insminger thing is a thing. I'm running out of good words now. Um, I mean, I, I watched part of the um, Bama game again and uh, on YouTube, and you're definitely right that it was ridiculously conservative. And especially after watching the Iron Bowl, there are ways to at least score some points, you know? Um, however, um, Darius Geis was on Twitter after the game against AM and people are basically defending Steve Insminger. So I'm like, why are you saying fire Insminger? They just scored 70 odd points. Like, 
I think that uh, how they manage that situation is going to be interesting. But we know that Ed Orgeron can recruit. And and look, you have to give him credit to standing by Insminger. And they had the coach him up mentality to the point where Joe Burrow wasn't even the starter until like 10 days before Miami or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know who their quarterback was going to be in the spring. They worked their ass off to bring a guy in who did a really good job, uh, Etling esque in that he was not, you know, not known for a particular skill set. And then, you know, I'm watching him, I'm watching him just crush it in the in the speed option the other night. You know, he's he came a long way in a short amount of time, learned on the job, and I mean the defense speaks for itself. Obviously, as far as Pruitt, I don't know what we know. Um, there was a lot of anger and consternation with the Tyson Helton situation, who's now the head coach at Western Kentucky in a very weird move that we can talk about later. Um, Pruitt is going to have to, the way that they went down against Vandy was bad, was really bad. (laughs) Um, He lost a lot of, he lost a lot of goodwill for obvious reasons. Like, you know, Tennessee fans fill that stadium up. It's Vandy. I mean, look, three in a row, dude. We wrote that Derek Mason has uh, drawn some interest from Colorado and you, you you can really understand why, especially if Colorado's looking to go defense. You know, um, it really makes sense because Derek Mason has been able to, with a limited uh, amount of talent in the SEC, shut. I mean, he shut down bad Tennessee teams again and again and again, and it's just not that remarkable from the outside. But I, I can promise you, locally and regionally here, it does matter and it does yeah. gain you traction in the coaching world. Um, he's pulled his own ass out of the fire several times in terms of the Vandy's overall record. He did it again this year. Yeah, three straight. So, that is three straight double-digit wins over t- Tennessee for Vanderbilt. That's that insane. Is amazing. No, I let's. I mean, the answer here. James I mean, Franklin it, did not do that, by the way. No. Um, it, right, and he's done very little else. Like James Franklin did a much better job than Derek Mason has for sure. But he 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 knows how to get his team up for a team that Tennessee for for a game that Tennessee doesn't appear to care about all that much. Uh, no, I mean the answer here has to be Edo. At least if you're a Tennessee fan, you better hope the answer is Edo, because you know three weeks ago or whatever Tennessee beats Kentucky and and you're like, all right, well maybe there's actual progress here, um, and then they just pack it in the rest of the season or two 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 weeks ago, um, two three games uh, ago, whatever, um, and they just get real- obliterated by Miss- Missouri. Yep. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Oh, no. Like that that's uh they get obliterated by Missouri um and they get obliterated by Vanderbilt. That's not really a way to to win people over even though, you know, it doesn't mean you're any worse than Tennessee has been cuz Missouri, Missouri's handled Tennessee a lot uh, since they joined the SEC. Vanderbilt's handled them the last 3 years. So, yeah, I think it's Edo. Um he he figured out a way to establish an identity. We we don't know the upset like the ceiling of that identity. I'm still not incredibly optimistic in that regard. Uh, but they won nine games. They're a top fifteen team that at least gets them back to where they were the, for for Les Miles' next or last full season. And now we have to see if he builds on it. The Insminger thing is a thing that we don't know what the ceiling is there or what the what the time limit is there or whatever. Um, but he established a, an Ed O team this year and they won nine games against a really hard schedule. So there's that Uh real quick podcast asked uh, about uh, Kingsbury and basically saying like, is it, uh, it seems odd to me that many have Kingsbury pegged for an OC job. Wouldn't he rather another HC gig? I uh, right now, I don't think so. Podcast. I think he's going to go to the NFL for a minute, take a breath, uh, learn a lot, build a resume 
uh, like like we said earlier, has a really sterling reputation uh, amongst uh, a lot of people in offensive football philosophy, and I think he'll be fine. Um, he'll come back around, though, be a head coach again. Yeah, he's young. He's got time. He's very um, young. So. And he really could at this moment, like if he only focuses on offense, especially if he's going up to the NFL, like he has a good three, four, five years here. He doesn't have to worry about getting another head, college head coaching job. Uh, his next head coaching job might be at a different level. You know, the level that's actually, you know, innovating at the moment. Uh, we we touched on Colorado earlier, so over on the Reddit, that's uh, Reddit slash PAPN, R slash PAPN, Buff in the Desert says, Bill and Godfrey talked me off the ledge with my Colorado Buffaloes. Is it too much to expect consistent 7-5 and five and 8-4 and four seasons from this program? <laughs> or should I just accept my favorite team's place in the world as a bottom feeder of the P5? Thanks for all you guys do. I love the podcast. Thank you. We love you. Um, no, you should not accept that you're a bottom feeder of the P5. You just They won 10 games two years anybody, ago. Yeah, anybody should be able to consistently win seven or eight games. Absolutely. I mean, the way college football is structured as a P5, you should be able to schedule smartly and, and be in bowl eligi- striking distance of bowl eligibility all the time. Um, there, you might have bad years. Things happen, but no, not at all. I think you can completely expect seven and five and eight and four at Colorado, and I think they're about to make a hire that will be – you know, Mike McIntyre, by the way, is a defensive guy. He's a defensive coordinator by trade. It's just that that wasn't really what they hung their hat on for a while. I think they want to get away from some of the more tempo-y stuff. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that's good, bad, whatever. It's probably a, they're probably leaning too hard on a cliche and not and oversimplifying. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely. Um, but that, that's also that is also the sort of verbiage that emerges around this time of year. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, and that always, I mean, you know, my thoughts on this by now, like that, that always frustrates me because figure out, like open the, the umbrella as far as possible, attract, like figure out who the most attractive names are and then let them sell you on their vision of your program. Don't say, I need defense because that immediately cuts off like two thirds of the applicant pool. Uh, yes. It just, it's a very silly way of going about things. If you get Derek Mason, it's attractive because he's going to have, he has national recruiting experience because he's worked for two <clears throat> of the smart schools in the P5. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious. I mean, as a DC for Shaw and then a head coach at Vanderbilt, you have to draw a national recruiting pool and then get them eligible um, and then co- do the whole coach them up thing. And I'm just swimming in cliche and simplification here. <laughs> but you also get to recruit guys that maybe would get eligible at Colorado but not get eligible at Stanford or Vanderbilt, which is totally fine. I went to Ole Miss. I'm not saying anything bad about CU Boulder. Is it CU or UC? I got yelled CU, at. CU, CU. Okay. Whatever. I just want to go there, man. Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't ski. Uh, I would say if they go with a guy like Mason, uh, it's pretty easy to see what they want, what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're the one thing I heard on this job is that we talked earlier two podcasts ago about are they going to go? Do you lean California or do you lean Texas? Right. And I think we I think we came to the the summary that they lean both. Yes. I think the emphasis is that you lean te- you. I'm sorry, you lean California because you want to best utilize the footprint that is natural and and they're a Pac-12 team now um you know what we saw yep. when we were coming up uh was a was a Colorado team that made its bones in Texas because they were a big 12 team um yeah and I mean Barry I'm not Odom, saying you don't recruit Texas right because I mean Barry, that, one of Barry Odom's big emphasis when he when he took over the Missouri job a couple of years ago was circling back and hitting Texas harder again and I mean I realize te- technically Texas is <clears throat> sort of SEC country um but it, you know it can again it go, it's it's what what is your vision and what can you execute? But it would definitely make more sense since you're playing in Arizona a lot, since you're playing in California a lot, uh, and you're not guaranteed to play in Texas ever. It would certainly seem to make sense to try to draw kids from the areas where you'll be playing your games. 
as an aside, I would say Houston feels very, very, very SEC. Every time I go, I go there a good bit, and uh, between that sort of crazy uh, billionaire separatist mentality that Houston <laughs> has with Tillman Fertitta, and yeah, then also the, and then also A and M's influence on the city of Houston, and then a really LSU's influence on the city of Houston post Katrina, that one feels like it's that whole region of Texas feels more SEC to me than it does Big Twelve. Uh, Not by that the way, Texas can't pull a five star out of Houston. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> By the way, um, six teams have finished in the S&P Plus top 25 going back to 05 with a losing record. Um, and there have been four other teams finishing 26th, including the 4-8 2016 Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Mm. Um, number 25, uh, Clemson in 2010 finished 5-7 and seven and 25th uh, under Davos, da, da, Dab, Dabo Sweeney. Yay! Um, I, I'm trying to actually get it right now, and, and then I just instinctively screwed it up. Uh, 09 Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio, another I don't I don't remember that it was his first or second year, but they were 23rd at six and seven, another good sign. 05 Tennessee, the team that fell to five and six out of the blue and got Phil Fulmer in a lot of trouble. They were actually quite good. They were 22nd, and uh, they you know the second order win total was 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 higher, and they were probably you know they, they turned around and bounced back after that briefly. Uh, 2011 Vanderbilt went five and seven under James Franklin. I believe that was his first Vanderbilt team was, it was his best on paper, um, with a top 10 defense. And they probably should have gone more about seven and five than five and seven, uh, 2014 Miami under Al Golden went six and seven and was 21st. I'm sure. I don't recall how that played out. I think it must've just endeared him greatly to all of Miami's fans. Uh, and then the, the, the standard bearer for, um, hard schedules and really good teams and a whole bunch of close losses. The 2010 Oregon State Beavers went 5-7, and seven, top 20 offense, top 20 defense, uh, 13th in S&P Plus, and they went 5-7. and seven. Uh, The Oregon State went 5-7. and seven. I'm going to pull that schedule. That was the year they beat USC, right? Let's see. I think they had a bunch of injuries. They, they lost by 9 to undefeated TCU. They lost to 12-1 Boise State. Uh, they lost by one to Washington. They lost by three to UCLA. They lost, well, they, they lost to Washington state, which was bad, but they crushed eight, uh, eight and five Southern Cal. They crushed California. They beat seven and six Arizona. They beat six and six Arizona state. Uh, and they beat seven and six Louisville. So that was like every single team on their schedule was good almost. And they won half of their games, uh, and were clearly good and still didn't bolt the end. Um, one question we'll wrap up with. Yep. Um, I got to go get back on the phone. Um, this is over in the Reddit. Uh, Rickary, who's a USC fan, he said, last week Godfrey said that if USC lost to Notre Dame, Clay Helton would be fired. USC lost, Clay is still here. Any yeah. insight as to why that decision was made? Uh, yeah, so we were a lot of us were told one thing um, because there was a push. And, and by the way, there's a fracture now because a lot of people are very upset he's staying, especially those that are primarily concerned with what's going on at UCLA. Mm. Um, the best summation comes from uh, Arash Markazi over at uh, ESPN, who's LA-based and has covered USC extensively. He's a very good reporter. Uh, from what I'm told, the combination of USC not having a president currently, Helton's buyout, and what it would cost to hire a big-name coach who is presumably already a head coach somewhere. That's a key point, by the way. That's me saying that. Uh, resulted in Clay Helton remaining for the head coach at USC for at least one more season. I'm not telling y'all that they're cash poor, but we don't know the specifics on the buyout. It's a private school. Right. Um, it's not small. It's... Some people have said 10. Some people have said closer to 15. 
I think that combined with the fact that also they would have to shell out and the, the USC move, the one move I heard was not going to happen was a reductive USC guy hire, like right. the Del Rio Jeff Fisher stuff. Okay. <laughs> Um, because they want to get away from that because they, what's the point? Thank Seriously, God. what is the point of firing Clay yeah. Helton for Jack Del Rio? <laughs> Someone explain that. Or, or Jeff Dam Fisher. That's That one's even better. Exactly. So I think what it was was a, was a razor-thin margin of their record, of the way they play Notre Dame, of what they feel like Helton can do in recruiting, player development. There's a lot of problems that they have. There's a lot of problems on offense for sure. And it's not just I for a while there I was just saying, well, they lost Sam Darnold, lost Sam Darnold. It's more than that. Yeah. Um I don't know what the situation with T Martin's gonna look like. There's some serious issues that they have to look at. I would expect some USC coaches to go to Western Kentucky, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um I would expect that you see that, which would save Helton the the stress and the misery of firing some of his guys. But <laughs> there there will be some new blood injected into that program and the coaching staff. Not not really that's not so much a prediction as it is just inevitable. Yeah. Um, it's they're not out of the fire, that staff at all. I mean, they have to show out and show up in a big way and be aggressive. And I, I'm curious what, as we move into the spring and get closer to the next season, what the floor is going to be. Yeah, it's I am um, going to be the floor is going to be pretty high. Yeah, and that's it makes sense. I I mean I'm I always advocate for coaches getting more time, or at least I usually do. So I don't I don't know I, I don't inherently mind that he gets another year. He really did have he had a great first year once he chose the right quarterback. He had a good second year. I, it wasn't any more than good. They should have been better last year, um, but it was still it was still good. Uh, and then this last year this year was clearly a disappointment. But I'm all for mulligans and all that, so that's fine. Um, I still, I'm, I'm not convinced it'll work, but it's fine that they, they, I, more, more schools should be patient, Auburn, and there and, are. Yeah, that's fine. That being said, <laughs> there's apathy around that program. Yeah, I can see it. That, like, fear. what is it? They didn't draw six more than sixty thousand all year. Was that the? Yeah, there's that's fear a huge that, building. There, there's fear that by waiting another year, you're just that much further along competing with what Chip Kelly's going to do. I don't think Chip Kelly's over there being like – I mean, I think it's – Yeah, like if he had gone 9-3 and three this year. Stop worrying that much. I mean, yeah, he's going to turn UCLA into a better program, but, I mean, this this idea that he's – I'm hedging on what I want to say here because I don't want to be rude, but, like, just – I get it a little bit. I understand that there's a pride thing with, with UCLA, but also, like, you're still USC. yeah. But you know, by the way, yeah, that was right. No more than sixty thousand. They drew fifty-eight for UNLV, fifty-two for Washington State, fifty-seven for Colorado, forty-seven for Arizona State, fifty-six for Cal, and fifty-nine for Notre Dame. That's embarrassing. Because that, I mean, number one, those are bad. When when you're that story to program, that's bad no matter what. But then you're in a freaking in the LA Coliseum. Uh, Forty-nine thousand is going to look like you know, well, it's going to look like about twenty thousand, and that, that's that's bad. Okay. Let's get out of That's going to do it. Uh, that was a total train wreck of a podcast, but uh, tis welcome. the season. Tis the season. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about the conference championships that don't matter to you. Um, <laughs> we'll have a, a quick tasting menu, probably some more questions. Meaningless and I, relics. I am super duper sure we'll have more coaching nonsense to talk about on Thursday. Can't wait. Congrats in advance to Rick Neuheisel. <laughs> <laughs>